As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome to the Audible presented by Trader Joe's. I'm Stuart Mandel, joined as always by Bruce Feldman, doing our second episode of the week a little bit earlier than usual because of the holiday coming up. Uh, Bruce, Tuesday morning, we found out that Dan Mullen in Florida um, were under NCA investigation. This whole didn't realize that uh, and have been hit with some sanctions for for recruiting violations. And it's it's, it's a little bit of a it was a little bit of a bombshell, Stu. Yeah. I gotta admit, when I saw that NCA release come out at, I guess it was 9 a.m. Pacific time, I'm reading it and it said Florida coach. And I'm like, wait a minute, Dan Mullen got a one-year show cause for recruiting violations? And it was like, usually there's a lot of dust up kicked around when there's investigations going on in the NCA, especially one that involves a, a, a prominent head coach getting a show cause. This one apparently flew under the radar entirely. Yeah, usually, especially at a public school, that would usually pop up at least in a FOIA request, although the state of Florida is pretty, has some, some laws that shield those. Um, but also, it's clearly been going on for a while because they announced these uh, punishments that the NCA and the school agreed to, and some of them go back, like, basically Dan Mullen's punishment is almost over already because he served you know, the, the um, not being allowed for well, some of these off campus part these. in 2019. But some of these also go on into this calendar year as well, as it relates to the staff. So um, again, in the, it's just, it just means more. I, like I, I'm still kind of stunned that this didn't get any attention going up. Cause it's not like Dan Mullins, not somebody who's in the spotlight. So um, it's just like, Again, a show cause. It's like, whoa, it just kind of was like, am I reading this right? Kind of when it broke. And we should uh, just just for people who aren't familiar with the lingo, show cause in the past, in a, in a previous era of the NCAA compliance system, that would have basically meant like the guy can't can't coach. You know, if you if you somebody's like got a show cause, like like Bruce Pearl had a five year show cause, I believe, and he just was unhirable during that time. Um, they there's now like a wide range of of what exactly a show cause entails and Mullins is pretty modest in the grand scheme of things. Although 
it's kind of crazy to think they already signed a recruiting class in which he wasn't allowed to go off campus for all of the fall of 2019. Um, but it's not like they now have to fire him or something like that, but it's not look, these weren't salacious allegations in there. Nobody's accused of funneling money to anybody, but they basically just brazenly uh, flouted rules about when you can and can't have contact with kids. Right. It's, I mean, for them to say did not promote an atmosphere of compliance is kind of, as you said, it's brazenly basically just not, not adhering to the rules. And I think for a lot of people who are probably, you know, reading through the NCAA thing, they're like, yeah, uh, okay. This doesn't surprise me because I think there's a lot of people who feel like there's just probably worse that actually goes on that at, at a lot of places that isn't getting caught. Let's put it that way. Or isn't getting, you know, so I don't know if this was just the NCA's, Hey, this is what we can prove. This is what we're doing. And that's that. Ari Wasserman on our site last week before signing day had the anonymous survey of recruiting staffers from, from all the different conferences and about whether they're, whether they think there's cheating, whether they see cheating. And there were two in the sec and they both said something like, well, I'm in the sec. So yes, I have, like, it's just, it's just considered universally accepted that, that everybody in the sec cheats. Now, most of the quotes in there were, something kind of like what this Florida thing, you know, this describing kind of exactly what the Florida thing was. They're not saying, yeah, I've seen our, I've seen recruits walk away with bags of money. They're saying that coaches violate these contact rules all the time. In fact, the specific, well, there were two specific cases cited in there. Um, One was pretty tame of Mullen and an assistant meeting in person and offering a, a, making an offer to a kid at his high school coach's office at a time when they weren't supposed to be talking to the recruit. The other one was that basically a, one of these traveling teams, 127 players. Um, well, I guess that was more than one traveling, a bunch of traveling teams that were coming through Florida for a tournament stopped at UF and got the tour and all that during a time when they weren't allowed to have contact. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone. Luckily with 24 seven us based live customer service from discover Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. All right, well, uh, let's move on now uh, to some more on-field stuff. One of the stories that had come out of selection process Sunday uh, was that Army nine and two was going to not have a chance to play for its 10th win in a story that got very public. Uh, The AD had come out with some strong comments on social media and Jeff Monk and their coach had also come out with a very impassioned uh, stance and that was picked up in a bunch of stories. And I think a lot of people are looking and going, wait a minute, there's not enough teams to fill in these bowls. How did this happen? So you're Mr. Bowl projection. Yeah. Explain. It was just a complete breakdown in the system uh, on Sunday. Basically so many schools around the country opted out, um, including all but two PAC 12 schools that they just couldn't, it got to the point where certain bowls couldn't find two teams to play in their game. So we saw the, 
uh, guaranteed rate bowl get canceled. We saw the military bowl get canceled, the Birmingham bowl. Um, the independence bowl though, was in this really unfortunate situation where army army's an independent. So they're not part of a conference's bowl arrangements, but they made their own deal with the independence bowl. And they were actually the first team in the country to accept a bowl invite. Like that's where they were going. So once they got the six wins, even though technically this year you could have gone there with one win, uh, once they got six wins, they officially accepted their invite to the Independence Bowl, and then they sat back and waited to see which Pac-12 team they would play. And then there were no Pac-12 teams to play. So everybody started scrambling, and at the end of the day, there was literally nobody they could invite. One thing I kind of found out in the trying to report out the bowl projections over the weekend is that there were a lot of schools like in the Mountain West and, and, and Conference USA that they never in a million years expected they would even be in the mix for a bowl bid. So they just sent their players home. So there may well be teams out there that would have wanted to take their place, but they just couldn't feasibly get the team back together in time because a lot of these games are next week. Um, fortunately, there was, a, I guess, I'm, 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 remit, I, I'm a little um, reluctant to call it a happy ending because it involved Tennessee and their players and coach getting covid but for Army, there was a happy ending that they are now playing in the Liberty Bowl against West Virginia after Tennessee had to pull out. But it never should have come to that in the first place. So buckle up, Mountaineers. You go from getting to have to prepare for the Tennessee Volunteer offense, as struggling as that was, to now you play an offense that probably nobody wants a part of, especially on short notice. But um, that'll be a fun game. I think there's going to be a lot more eyeballs on it than – than you would have expected in a Liberty Bowl. Um, and I think there's going to be a lot of people who, who will really be pulling for uh, Army. I mean, not that they normally don't, but especially given the, the attention that, that this whole thing is twisted and turned for. Now, as we're recording, we, so this is going to be, unfortunately, just a, an absolute mess of a bowl season because other teams are going to have to pull out like Tennessee did. And there's not going to be a, an army waiting to replace them. And so as we're reporting, uh, there's a report that South Carolina will not be able to play in the Gasparilla Bowl due to COVID tracing. That game is this weekend. So I'm assuming it just won't be played. And they were supposed to play UAB, conference champion UAB. And so I'm, we'll see what happens. But I would think that just means UAB doesn't get to play anybody. And that's going to keep happening, right? Especially, uh, I was talking about this with somebody like I am, while I, while I can't, oppose, you know, so Alabama, Nick Saban said the players are going to go home for Christmas and, and that's, they're not alone. And I was kind of shocked by that. Now I can't say like, you should keep them on prisoners on campus. Like, of course, like the moral thing to do is let them go home for Christmas, but boy, are you inviting yourself for trouble uh, in terms of controlling COVID? Um, but if anybody is, but I think what we might see is like, Alabama players are going to be super cautious because they don't want to miss the playoff. If you're Tennessee, if you're South Carolina and you, your season was a total dud and you're kind of checked out. Like, it's not surprising to me that those are two of the first ones we're hearing about it from. Now I was told by somebody on the uh, Notre Dame staff that Notre Dame was not going to be going home for Christmas. And in fact, they would be practicing. Uh, they were scheduled to practice or planning to practice on Christmas Eve. Um, so interesting, uh, interesting situation. The South Carolina one especially sounds like it's it's not, again, from one of the reports that we're seeing, um, sounds like, and this is from Mike Yuva, 
don't know if it's pronounced the last name, UVA, um, that they, uh, that contact tracing was, was a concern, but following a players only meeting and a meeting with AD Ray Tanner, some players did not want to play for interim head coach, Mike Bobo. So, so if that's the case, I got to tell you, Mike Bobo had some comments on Sunday that, that I was like a little bit stunned that he said them out loud. Um, as you know, you know, if you saw over the weekend as the various school Penn state, Nebraska, USC, Boise State, like so many of these schools that you're like, wait, I would have thought they'd want to play in a bowl game. You know, their coaches, they all said the same thing about how this has been such a tough year. The players haven't gotten to see their families. We, we, we left it up to them. We asked them, do you want to play in a bowl game or not? And, and they said, you know, we'd rather go spend the holidays with our families. Um, PJ Fleck, the Minnesota coach, I think I mentioned this on the last podcast, was describing how it would be you know, rather unappealing for them to go because we're going to go play in a bowl game. You're not going to get to go to all the activities. And, you know, he's like, can you imagine spending Christmas day in a, alone in your hotel room, eating a box lunch? Contrast that with Mike Bobo. He was asked on Sunday night if there, if the players had voted to play in the game quote, there's no vote in the sec. You come to play in the sec, you come to play ball. I told them we're going to go play in a bowl game. If you don't want to play, you need to opt out. We didn't have a vote. So color me not surprised if, if maybe a few days later there was a meeting with the AD. Okay. Um, I don't know where to go with that other than we, you and I both were among many who voted for the Heisman over the weekend or over uh, at least on Monday. Um, are you allowed to share your vote? No, we're not allowed to share our vote or, we, or we'll have our ballots taken away. Um, that rule went into effect. Uh, at this point, like seven or eight years ago, and it's unfortunate, but we do have a Heisman straw poll on the athletic. And so far, I mean, this is the fourth year of it. And so far it's predicted the winner. Um, and even the margin, frankly, fairly accurately, I think because our staff is pretty geographically dispersed. So it might uh, reflect, you know, um, the, the electorate in large. And if, our straw poll is predictive of it. We're going to have a little bit of history on Saturday, Bruce, because the final results were Devontae Smith, number one, with 114 points, 30 first-place votes. And then a pretty big drop-off to Mac Jones at number two with six first-place votes, Trevor Lawrence, number three, Kyle Trask, number four, Najee Harris, number five. And I do uh, think that it's going to be a very Alabama-heavy Heisman ceremony. Look, they were they were the dominant team in college football this year, or have been to this point. You know that sets up for an interesting situation because um, uh, in our TV studio the other day, I spent a bunch of time with Emmanuel Acho, and as we were uh, walking off the set after a, a long Saturday, we got to talking about Trevor Lawrence, and it was like, would he be the greatest player of this era to not win a Heisman? And I had to think about that because obviously Emmanuel uh, went to Texas and played at Texas and Vince Young didn't win a Heisman and he was a great college player and finished off his career probably better than any college player uh, has the way he did. And again, it's, it's a little, I'll, I'm trying to ask this without stepping on the Heisman rules. What chance do you think Heis, uh, Trevor Lawrence has of winning the Heisman? 
I don't, I, I think he'll be there. I think he'll be you know, one of the finalists in the virtual ceremony. I think that once he missed the Notre Dame game with COVID, it kind of killed his chances. Um, and it, you're right. Like a lot of times the guy who, if you're just saying like, I mean, we've been talking about him as the, the surefire number one pick for months. So if you're just going by who you think is the most uh, talented player or certainly the most talented quarterback, you can make that case for Trevor Lawrence. But you also could have made that case for Tua. He never won the Heisman. Or Andrew Luck. Uh, I mean, remember, that was, that was a big uh, stunner at the time, RG3 winning instead of Andrew Luck. Um, there's a lot of those guys who they had a decorated college career. They were the number one pick or close to it. And 10 years later, you look back and go, I can't believe that guy didn't win the Heisman. Um, here's the dilemma I faced, though. And then you can, maybe you can tell me how you thought it through. Um, last year, Joe Burrow had what everybody would say was the greatest season a quarterback has ever had, passing quarterback. And now here we are a year later, and Mac Jones, and granted he's played 11 games, Burrow got to 15, but we're just looking at the stats that aren't, um, you know, that aren't, that are average, uh, averages. Mac Jones, 76.5 completion percentage that is slightly higher than Burrow's 76.3. Mac Jones, 11.4 yards per attempt. Burrow, 10.8. And passer rating, Mac Jones, 202.3, slightly above Burrow's 201.96. So statistically... I think you're, you're snubbing. One thing that Joe Burrow was really good at, and I'm not saying Mac Jones doesn't do this at all, but Joe Burrow made a lot of plays with his legs, a lot. Um, got a lot of first downs. They were really good. You know, the quarterback draw in the run game with him scrambling. I don't think you're giving him enough credit if you're just looking at just pure passing stats, apples to apples. Here. I, I'm not trying to say he's better than Joe Burrow, and I'm not. Um, I know, but you're just throwing out a statistical comparison. You're leaving out one, I think, one key aspect of what Joe Burrow did really well. Well, I do think that stats increasingly in this day and age dictate the Heisman maybe more than in a previous era. The reason I brought it up is that Trevor Lawrence's stats aren't comparable at all like two fewer games or not his passer rating is 172 his completion percentage is 69.2 um 22 touchdowns four interceptions mac jones 32 touchdowns four interceptions so from that point it gets hard to justify but if somebody just wants to say i've watched mac i know Stu, but i, I think watched- you were i i disagree on this front and i'm not saying mac jones isn't he's on he's in one of my I don't know. Can I say he's in my top two? I'm going to say he's in my top two. But um, but he is nowhere near the running threat either of the two guys you mentioned are. And that is a big part of their their worth as a quarterback. I mean, it's not just their passing stats. That's all I want to say. I'm not because I, I don't want it to make it seem like I'm crapping on Mac Jones. I'm not. He's one of my top two Heisman guys on my ballot. But just if you're going to talk stats, Mac Jones has negative rushing yards this season. Joe Burrow, I think, had close to 400. I don't even know what Trevor Lawrence has in those games, but I know that they are definitely more of a running threat to deal with for defenses than Mac Jones is. That's no, it. that's true. There's, there's no denying that. Um, I guess I don't consider that a make or break. But the, 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 real, the real thing, that the real factor this year that was so unusual was to have three guys from the, the same offense. And it is an epic offense who you could make you can make a case for any of them. Um, there are people who think Najee Harris should win the Heisman. He's a fantastic running back. And then, of course, Devontae Smith, who I do think is going to win it um, 
first receiver since night since Desmond Howard in 1991. Uh, if he wins it, I went back and looked and looked at his numbers relative to like, I know I had Marquise Lee on my ballot the year he had that enormous year. I know I had um, Justin Blackman one year. I know I had Michael Crabtree one year um, and Devonte Smith uh, Crabtree had some insane year, uh, you know, playing in that Texas tech offense. He was an outlier, but yeah, I mean, Devonte Smith, 98 catches, 1,511 yards, 17 touchdowns. Uh, most of those are, all of those are, well, not the receptions, but the yards and touchdowns are the most for a power five receiver since 2012. Uh, but I don't even think those stats fully capture just like, just how good he is. Just what a, I mean, the fact that they lost Jalen Waddle, you watch these Alabama games, everybody knows they're going to throw to Devonte Smith and he still catches 15 passes in the SEC title game. It's just a remarkable season he's had. I do think that Jalen Waddell's injury, while it doesn't help the Alabama team, probably helped his Heisman candidacy a little bit. Absolutely. Jalen Waddell was such a dynamic, you know, first of all, he's obviously dynamic in the return game too, but I just think that all of a sudden it thinned out the, you know, in 2019, you had this ridiculously deep receiving core that Alabama had. It's still deep. It's just like, you know, it was star studded then. And then you really have two stars and John Mechie became a, a really good third receiver um, until Waddle got, got hurt. So I think that added to it. Um, and look, I mean, Devontae Smith, I don't know, you know, I'm curious what his odds would have been um, back in August. But, like, I'll be surprised if he doesn't win. I mean, I just don't know. Like, it's, it's, a, it's a weird year in that I think if Trevor Lawrence doesn't beat Notre Dame or if, if Kyle Trask doesn't, you know, really struggle against a bad LSU team, I think you're going to have three uh, – your top three guys are going to be in the SEC. Um, but, again, it was, a, it was a weird year just because of – schedule shortened and not no non-conference games relatively. And I guess obviously the, the big 12 out of few, but so it just made it very, uh, I don't know, very, very odd. I think that the loss to LSU did in Kyle Trask because he still had a phenomenal season and he went toe to toe with, uh, with Mac Jones in the SEC title game. But then at the end of the day, like it's hard to win the Heisman when you've lost, when you just lost your last two games. Especially in the way that was. I mean, he had yeah. no Kyle Pitts. He threw a pick six. He threw another ball that got intercepted. I mean, it was like, you know, that day he was not the best quarterback in the swamp. It was actually a true freshman on the other side. So, um, and he had a great year. I mean, I think, I think there's no shame in not being one of the top three guys. I mean, he's been a terrific story. So, and then of course, Justin Fields was everybody's, you know, in preseason, it was Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields. And, Justin Fields really struggled in his two, the two games they played against ranked teams. And he, he's not, I assume not going to be on people's ballots, which means that there's basically no candidate from the big 10, no candidate from the pac 12, um, no candidate from the big 12. Although Brees Hall has always gotten some love on our um, Heisman poll. So again, like that's why you're going to see, I would think, I think it'll be among the finalists. It'll basically be three Alabama guys and a Clemson guy. Yeah, maybe so. We'll see. Um, all right. I actually don't know when they're even announced. Well, do you, I know the ceremony's not till January fourth or fifth. When are we finding out the finalists? 
I got no idea. <laughs> so that's what what a year, what a year. Uh, I think that's it for for this week. Um, we will probably go heavy on emails next week. So send your emails to the at gmail.com. Enjoy the bowls. Keep an eye on when, when's coming, when, when, what game is coming out. Cause it's just kind of like, I feel like they're all just going to like pop up and say, Oh, I'm going to turn on ESPN and see if they got a game right now. Good, good advice. Happy holidays, everybody. We'll see you next time. Mm-hmm.